0: A good week. I really have. Obviously, I've had my first childhood, which is really great. Another um, highlight is I learned that Friends is coming to Netflix. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's going to be right in time when I finish Gilmore Girls, and then I can just start right making friends. So it's great. No, we're really, really happy you guys are here really this week. Um, I graduated from CU, if you guys don't know me. And then. Through Brad and I sent it here, um, and it's been a great experience. Um, but for those of you that do know me you know that um, I love the outdoors, I love adventure in the outdoors. That's a huge thing that Brad and I love to do together. Um, one of our favorite things is to go backpacking. Um, and actually, the first time that I ever went on a backpacking trip, I went with my dad in high school. I had been asked by this guy to homecoming,
1: and I didn't want to go
0: with him. And so I wanted to have a like, legitimate reason why I could tell them, I'm going to be here this weekend, I'm packing. Um, so I got my dad to take me backpacking for that weekend, and it turned into this awesome weekend. I discovered a passion that I have. I love to do that.
1: From I hope to
0: get a few trips in each summer. And one of our all time favorite backpacking trips, you guys, is in Zion National Park. Um, it's in Utah, if you haven't been there, and it is incredible. So our trip that we like to do in Zion is called the Zion Narrows. It's kind of the reason why you go to Zion. Honestly, if I talk to someone and they're like, oh, you have been to design Zion, and I took the like, or Shovel and did all the stops, I'm like, you didn't do Zion. You didn't do the Narrows. And so it's like, I know if you haven't done it, um, you're familiar with Zion. The term the Narrows is kind of confusing. So what it is, is it's the main canyon through the whole National Park. And it's created by the Virgin River. And what you can do to do the backpacking trip, it's like the backpacking trip, is You start at the top of the canyon, and you get a hike down 18 miles for two days in this canyon. Um, So as you can imagine, it's pretty incredible. It's only a two-day trek.
1: You have to get a permit,
0: because they only allow a certain number of people in the canyon a day. And that's just because um, sometimes the river is Wallowa Canyon, and so there's not that many campsites that you can go to.
1: Um,
0: So I don't know what the number is, but I think there's like 12 campsites, and they only let a certain number of people in so even though it's only 18 miles, not the longest backpacking trip, um, it's actually pretty tough. As you can imagine, like hiking through a river isn't the easiest thing. You, um, you're cold, you're tired. It a 15 pound backpack on you that is getting wetter throughout the day, so it's getting heavier. And you're walking on slippery bowling balls, essentially river rocks all day. So um, those 18 miles, when you finish it that second day, it's like, damn, I did that. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I can't do it anymore. I'm like totally spent. Um, the first time that Brad and I did this, actually I have two pictures, Brad, if you want to open this up. Yeah, so the first picture over here, this is in 2010, the first time that we did it. Um, and then this is this last summer in August. Um, and you can tell the term the and errors, you get it from sections like this where it really is narrow. Um, yeah, but you need some unique gear. I mean, this is a unique backpacking trip, right? And so you see in these pictures, we have two hiding sticks. Everyone has to have a hiding stick. Um, and it's like a rock. Like, you get a, essentially, like, a rake that you're using. Um, and you really need that. Like, it's totally necessary to do this trip because sometimes you're doing these river crossings. And the river is so swift and so strong that you are stabilizing your entire body and your body weight and your pathway against this stick.
1: So that's one thing that you need.
0: The other thing that you need is some pretty intense foot protection. Um, all of the guiding shops outside of Zion, they recommend that you rent these mountaineering boots. They're really gnarly like strap them on and cover your ankles completely. Everyone, the first time that we did, it, rented it but me. I was too proud, too sorry, and too cheap. I didn't want to pay the $20 a day to rent these boots, and so I just wore neoprene socks and um, tennis shoes. tried not to roll my ankles with every step that I took, And honestly, it worked out fine in the end, but it made my trip a little bit more challenging. Um, So I was just trying not to roll my ankle, and I knew they wouldn't carry me out if I didn't. Um, The second time we did it, this last summer, the river was a lot lower, so it made the whole trip a lot easier on our bodies in general. But it was really fun, and still by that second day we were totally exhausted. Um, as you guys can tell, I get really excited about things like this. I love backpacking. We have a fun picture of our friend Tom. Um, yeah. So sometimes in the river it's like it's so deep, like you can't walk. You just have to throw your packs in and like float on top of it, which is really fun. It makes this trip really unique. Um, actually, that's our friend Tom that married us a year ago. We're celebrating our 100th anniversary this week. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'll get back to this in a little bit, but I'm just going to pray for us to start the night. Awesome Father. I and mean, uh, yeah, thank you for this opportunity to be here to learn from your word and now just kind of be in community together. Pray that. Tonight, we get a better picture of who you are and and your love for us, and that you would just open our hearts up to that. Um, So, like I said, we're going to continue through the book of John tonight. So, the last, I think, three weeks this, is, we've gone through the first three chapters of John. And hopefully,
1: in those weeks, we've been
0: getting a better picture of who Jesus is. And ideally, allowing us to answer that question of, is Jesus who he says he is? Um, So, tonight, I'm going to talk about a story. That I think a lot of us will be familiar with and have heard before, and whether or not that's true, I hope that we can all just look at this story with fresh eyes, because I think it reveals really cool things about Jesus and His character. So, if you want to open up your Bibles to John 4 you We're going to look at the story of the woman at the well, or your iPhones or whatever. Um, I'm also going to have that here. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there,
1: so Jesus,
0: weary as he was from his journey, was sitting inside the well. It was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gifts of God, and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons in his livestock. That seems like a really simple statement to start this passage off, but I want to argue that it's not simple at all. That word had to, or in some translations it says needed to, in the Greek, which is what most of the New Testament is written in.
1: It actually means a necessity
0: of duty. It's a command. So what we learn from that is that Jesus had no option to not go through Samaria. Every other Jew at the time, you guys, would have avoided Samaria completely. They would have avoided it by sixty miles, sixty miles out of their way, by a foot. Sometimes they would have crossed the Jordan River twice to avoid going through Samaria. So geographically, it makes sense to go through Samaria, but culturally, we see that it is completely unheard of. It really helps me look at a map of this, and um,
1: yeah. So on this map,
0: you can see the green arrows is showing the route that Jesus did take. He went through from Judea to Jacob's Well through Samaria and then went on to Galilee. You can see the gray right out of the line to the right is showing the traditional route that every other Jew would have taken. They would have crossed the Jordan River once in Judea, traveled up, and then crossed it again in Galilee. You guys, when Brad and I do um, the of each river crossing gets more and more difficult. By that second day, your feet are so exhausted. They're heavy, they're wet, they're cold. You've been stepping on these slippery river rocks all day, it feels like your place are going to get up, get out from beneath you. And we learned that the, the Jews, they choose to cross the river twice. And so I didn't really know anything about the Jordan River this week, so I looked into it a little bit, and I learned that it's the fastest-moving river of its size. I looked at some YouTube videos and found that um, people consider it a pretty intense river. And what I saw was just raging rapid after rapid. So I actually have a quick clip, and I want you guys to watch it. And just consider like crossing this river by foot, because I can tell you from experience that it wouldn't be easy at all. The Jordan River is not super wide, but it is really fast. And honestly, like that's consistent with it. I didn't pick the like, most extreme section of the Jordan River to show you. So it's kind of crazy to think that the Jews would prefer that route, crossing that twice and going 60 miles by foot out of their way, rather than go through Samaria. Because that scenario is easier than encountering a Samaritan. So when it says in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria, Clearly, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Clearly, there were other routes that he could have taken. He didn't commonly traveled routes by other Jews. But because of who Jesus is, because of his character, we see that he had to go to Samaria. He had to talk to this woman. And he goes straight into a mess, which I think is really cool. So culturally, there's just so many things happening in this passage that we kind of have to pull apart to get a good picture of what's going on. And we see that in the passage, Jesus and his disciples, they go up from Judea. Stop in Samaria at Jacob's well. And in the passage it says when they get there that Jesus was tired. So his disciples go town, Jesus is sitting at this well, and that's where he encounters a woman from Samaria. It says the first thing that he says to her is he asks her for a drink. Because that's huge. He asks her for a drink, and by doing that, he is dignifying her. She, being a woman from Samaria, wasn't expecting him to talk to her at all. Couldn't at all, because Jesus was a man, and not only was he a man, he was a Jewish rabbi, so she would have known that, seeing him out of the well, and so all of the cultural baggage between the two of them, she was probably floored when he not only spoke to her, but he asked her for help. He said, give me a drink from your bucket. I want a drink from your bucket. I just think that's huge, that he dignifies her in that very initial interaction, um, especially considering where they go the rest of the passage. Um, And then if you remember, also in that passage, it says that this conversation happened in the middle of the day, that it happened at noon, in the sixth hour. It's unique that she's even out drawing water at this time. Every other woman in this culture at that time,
1: they would have gone out really early in the day,
0: or again late in the evening, to avoid the sun and scorching heat. And we see that she's out there in the very, very middle of the day. She chose that deliberately. I think she was expecting to be at the well alone that day. So when she saw Jesus there, I think it was probably a surprise. And I think we also see in this passage that she's not content with the situation that she's in. Because she says in that last verse, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty for have to come here to draw water. She didn't want to be there. She said, give me this living water that you're talking about so that I be here every day, not just physically drawing water every day, but that she wouldn't have to be humiliated, drawing water in the heat of the day, day after day. And Jesus, with grace and with truth, gets to the very core of her and the root of why she's drawing water in the middle of the day. So we pick up in verse 16, where it says, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. So Jesus graciously puts on the pressure puts the pressure on this woman and makes her acknowledge the fact that she's had five broken marriages, and the guy she's living with now doesn't love her enough to marry her, whom she's drawing water for in the heat of the day to avoid ridicule from other women in the town. You guys, it is so easy for me to feel sorry for this woman. She's literally looking for love in all of the wrong places. And we see that Jesus had to go to Samaria, that he had to talk to her and to tell her to stop drawing water in these broken relationships. That she needs to start getting her hope and filling her hope in a living water that he's saying to her. This is a hard reality that she's being confronted with. And honestly, it sounds a little bit uncomfortable for me if you're listening to the comment. But I think something that's really closer that we want to know about Christ is that he doesn't shame her, he doesn't ridicule her, he doesn't even linger on the um, subject of her previous marriages or her current adultery. Jesus is simply revealing to her her own thirst, which is really cool.
1: I'm not sure she was even
0: aware that she was thirsting after something and trying to satisfy that with broken relationships with men. She's filling her bucket, striving to satisfy her thirst day after day, just like we call her, right? For me, it looks like filling my bucket with approval from others, Um, with social acceptance, my performance, my future, job, in college with my GPA, in high school with sports. I think a lot of us are saying to God that we don't think he can satisfy us, so we look to these other things that ultimately leave us dry.
1: And Jesus is just begging us to stop
0: that cycle and to go to the only thing that does satisfy, which is him. A pastor from Latinx Church, Scott Nichols, puts it this way. Don't get from anyone or anything, but you can only get from God. I'm going to say it again.
1: Don't get from anyone or anything,
0: but you can only get from God. So a few weeks ago, the priest talked about this idea of thirsting after something, and they shared Isaiah 55, 1-3, and I just wanted to share it again. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come here, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast short love. So uh, I don't know what it is for you guys, and you might not even know what it is for yourself, just like the woman in the story, but I guarantee that every single one of us in this room is filling our buckets every single day with something. I would encourage you to just bring that before the Lord. Even think about that the rest of this week, what you might be finding here open, and ask him to reveal that to you. I just wanted to leave us with a summary of the things that we can learn about Christ's character in John 4. Um, So the first one is that Jesus loves us so much that he's eager to come straight into our mess. That he does not at all expect us to have our acts together before we do so. Also that Jesus speaks grace and truth to us, and that he's the only, or also that he doesn't shame and grace to us, like we see a woman as well. And finally, that Jesus is the only real thing that can satisfy us. Thanks, Brad. So I'm going to pray for us, and then invite the band to come back up. Awesome, Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you that we're able to learn from you, and it continually. Um, I pray that you would be revealing to us what we're finding, um, our hope, putting our hope in, and we will hoping to satisfy it. It's not you, Lord.
1: Um, I just thank you that you
0: do speak grace and truth to us, that you love us kindly, and you never expect us to have it together. Um, wow, I just thank you uh, for the group of students in here and um, ask that you continue to work in the class. Thank mm-hmm. you.